From South Coast Brim to North Queensland Permit, we're lucky enough to have some of the world's best flats fishing. In this feature-length episode, we're joined by expert guide and fishing film legend John Hankey. We tap into John's deep knowledge gained over the many decades to reveal the fundamentals of flats fishing, so you can get out there with confidence on your own or with a guide. For Trouties, this episode will open your mind to our wonderful flats fishing opportunities. And to the more initiated, there's some gems that might challenge your own theories and make you a better, more rounded saltwater fly fisher. G'day and welcome to the Fly Fisher Podcast. Since 1967, we've been spreading the bug of fly fishing. Join us as we celebrate the fun of fly fishing and chat with characters that enjoy it as much as we do. Whether you're just starting out or have some experience, we hope our ego-free commentary helps demystify fly fishing and inspires you to visit new places and try new techniques. Today we're talking how to fly fish Aussie saltwater flats. Uh, we're joined by Mr. John Hankey, who uh, is a very good friend of the fly fishers, of course, and uh, you may know him from having produced a very successful series of DVDs called The Fishing DVD. Uh, it ran for uh, how long, John? What, like 12, 12 years or something? Yeah, it was about 12 years, and we ended up with about 42 or 43 episodes or volumes, actually, so... Separate DVDs. Yeah, it went for quite a while. Amazing. Yeah, and now more recently you've gotten into uh, the saltwater guiding? Yeah, since then I've been guiding for quite a few years now. Yeah. In the tropics, North Queensland. Yeah. Um, and I'm still really enjoying it. I, I love my flats fishing and still my barra fishing as well. Yeah. One of the things I've kind of noticed about you is you still are very thirsty to learn more every day that you're out on the water. And the best fly fishers that I've come across in, in I guess, my short fly fishing career have been guys like yourself that just don't lose that hunger just to, to want to learn more. Yeah, one of the great things about fly fishing for me especially is it's something that I'm always learning uh, when it comes to uh, anything to do with fly fishing. And it's always challenging, uh, so I never get bored with it, never get sick of it. And, uh, yeah, I just love being out there on the water and uh, I still enjoy it as much as ever. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, one of your major passions in fly fishing is flats fishing in particular, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think when the conditions are right, uh, when everything lines up and you've got a blue sky day and tides are right and the fish are there I, I can't imagine anything else I'd rather be doing yeah no I think we're in good company to be having this conversation <laughs> with you today but yeah look we sort of thought you know why why do this topic and certainly you know in Australia 85% of our population is coastal so there's a lot of people that actually have flats fishing on their doorstep and really it's within reach of uh, you know the vast majority of us isn't it it is for sure, whether you live in the north or in the tropical areas or in the south, uh, and whether you fish for brim or flathead or whiting on the flats, um, or whether you fish for permit and other more, I guess, slightly more exotic species in the north. Uh, it's very similar, um, even though they're different species. Uh, the way you fish a flat is often very much, uh, or very similar. The same sort of tides seem to work yeah. In most areas, um, you've got to be very stealthy because the water's very shallow and clear most of the time, and the fish that you're fishing for 
are used to being um, predated on and uh, they're very wary as well. So that all adds to the challenge uh, of fly fishing the flats. Yeah, And it's sure. one, of the, one of the main reasons I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 I don't know, just on the surface, saltwater fly fishing and in particular flats fishing, it, it, if you don't know about it, if you've only seen trout fishing, for instance – it's very intimidating and it seems almost postcard worthy, doesn't it? Like it's it's not obtainable. Why, why is that, do you think? Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly very different to any other style of fishing. Um, you've really got to be aware of everything. Um, when we're fishing for species like permit, you really need everything to line up. Um, if you've got cloud on the flats, it's always difficult. It's very hard to see the fish. Um, so ideal conditions are you've got a blue sky day, no cloud. Um, incoming tides tend to work better. The fish move up into the shallow water with the incoming tide and they spend more time feeding on the incoming tide. On the, the outgoing tide, they tend to be in a bit of a rush to get off the flat and they don't feed as hard as they do on the incoming. So there's a few things that have got to line up. Um, so you need to do a little bit of homework to pick the best time to be there. Yeah. Um, but it's very rewarding when everything does line up and sure. it all comes together. I, I kind of feel that the same could be said with any fishing though. You know, there is a, a, a process of actually figuring stuff out and that only comes with time on the water. And a flats fisher, and the point I'm trying to make is yeah. it is like any fishery and you can work it out. Absolutely, you can. Um, I, I guess one of the biggest things is you're fishing, you're usually sight fishing, uh, and when you're sight fishing, it's for me, it's a, it's an easier way to, to work things out. You can read the mood of the fish. Uh, you can see how the fish or what they're doing, where they're travelling. Uh, if you get to know an area, because it's all very visual and they're in shallow, clear water, it, it's uh, it, sometimes it's easier to work a flat out than it is uh, fishing a, a situation where you can't see the fish and you're guessing what they're doing. Uh, on a flat, you can see exactly what they're doing. Uh, you get an understanding of uh, how they travel, what part of the tide they're feeding on. Uh, so the visual side of it, to me, uh, makes it a lot easier in a lot of ways. Uh, so it, whether you're in uh, you know, Victoria, say, fishing for whiting or flathead or brim, uh, on the flats, a lot of those things are the same whether you're in the tropics or not because you can actually see the fish, you can read their moods, uh, you can see if they've got a path they travel through like a slightly deeper gutter or something like that, it's much easier to work it out when it's visually happening in, happening in front of you. Unlike fishing in deeper water or dirty water where you've got no idea what the fish are doing, how they're reacting or if they're even there, you can use a sounder but... It's not the same as actually seeing them in front of you. For sure. Um, so th is it the sight fishing that is the major draw for you in that respect as well? For me, I love any sight fishing. Um, so most of what I do these days is sight fishing. And on the flats, uh, certainly, it's it's the big draw card for me. Yeah. Um, we do a number of other things uh, where we sight fish as well, but the flats is probably the best place to do it. Um, because... Uh, 
you've really got to um, you've got to do a bit of homework to find this uh, suitable flats where there are fish. Um, if you don't do that, you can come up with areas where maybe the visibility is not so good. So when we were looking originally for areas to guide on, uh, as far as the flats fishing goes, uh, we certainly did a lot of homework and spent a lot of time looking. Um, there are a number of things that we were looking for, obviously, uh, clear water was a big one. Yeah. Uh, that's a, a big part of the whole thing. And I guess inevitably, even in on the ideal flat, uh, the cloud cover can come over at the wrong time. So is blind fishing actually possible on a flat? It's still possible. Um, if you have a bit of an understanding of where the fish may be travelling and the species that you might encounter on the flat, um, and it's certainly worth blind fishing as well um, but ideally if you can see the fish then that's as good as it gets um, yeah blind fishing on the flats is certainly an option though without yeah. a doubt yeah and we sort of touched on there just a few different places that you can do it you know the fact that we do actually have flats down in victoria yes. you know all the yeah. way through you yeah. know new south wales up into queensland um, in your mind yeah. what are the sort of top i guess coastlines where you you're going to experience some great flats fishing uh i've i've certainly experienced some great flats fishing in southern new south wales for instance uh, right down to the victorian border um the species are different but there's certainly some great flats fishing there and some fish that are very uh tricky and very elusive as well you know some of those big brim you catch on the flats down there and tasmania even the black brim you get there are a great fish to target on the flats um, if I was to, I, I like the tropics, um, I like the warm water species, so I guess for me there's a, a few areas in North Queensland, uh, and as you, you've said, that there's so many flats, um, but certainly for the species I like targeting, uh, North Queensland, Western Australia's got some great exceptional flats fishing, um, and Cape York Yes, yeah. too. So I, I guess um, Exmouth area, that area in WA um, and further north up to the Kimberley um, has got some great flats. The thing is when you're fishing in the tropics, you've got to be aware of um, you could become prey. You know, <laughs> the, there are crocodiles and sharks that you've got to be aware of and if you're wading those flats, uh, you've certainly got to be aware of that, whereas you don't have to be concerned about those things in the south. So most of the flats fishing we do in the north, we have got crocodiles and sharks frequent the flats where I fish. Uh, we usually fish out of a boat. Uh, I've got a little skiff now that only draws, you know, it floats in very shallow water. So uh, it's the best way of, of covering those flats without worrying about crocs and sharks. Yeah, which probably says, you know, guided fishing versus DIY. If you are just on foot and you're wanting to fly fish the tropics, flats it's probably not really advisable you would certainly need to talk to the locals and get an understanding of whether there are crocs in the area um, and if there are then you, you don't go in the water where there are crocs you know if it's an obvious place where crocs frequent um, I certainly don't go in the water in those sort of areas or let any of my clients go in the water either. Um, we have got flats in the area I'm in um, where to find a croc there would be very unusual and they're clear water, sandy bottom, so you can see 
we we certainly don't wait if there's any cloud or if the water's murky at all. But if the conditions are right, then we do wade sometimes around the sandbars. We certainly don't wade in deep water. Um, we don't ever go in any water over knee deep. But crocodiles are certainly something you've got to be aware of in the north and it's not worth taking any risks. And the sharks too, of course. Absolutely. Um, we get big sharks, hammerhead tigers and bull sharks uh, right up in the shallow water on some of the flats that we fish. So you've certainly got to be aware of them as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it, like boat boating-wise, you find a, a, a boat that can get into that skinny water is more ideal and maybe the your classic kind of Quintrax and that sort of thing isn't isn't really suited to it? Yeah, boats that draw a bit more water. The, the little skiff I've got only draws about 20 centimetres of water and it certainly gets up in the areas that we normally fish. Um, you can still fish the flats out of a, a Quinny or another boat, but you won't get that exceptional skinny water experience in those sort of boats. So um, if you really want to get into it and you're keen, then a boat that's designed to fish those shallow flats is the best way to do it. And certainly in the north, you're better off fishing out of a boat. Um, You don't want to take any risks when it comes to crocs or sharks, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, And what about polling or electrics or yep. what, if you were kitting out a boat what sort of tools do you use well i use a bowman electric um i know a lot of uh, fellows that fish the florida keys i've fished over there as well only use a pole and if they do have an electric they have a, a rear mounted electric um but to be perfectly honest I, I fish a lot on my own as well so it's impossible to pole the boat and fish at the same time so unless you've got a someone who's uh, going to be able to pole for you and swap around maybe you've got a friend who can do it and electric's really the only option um, you can use an electric um, and still fish are certainly aware of the noise of an electric um, so you've got to be aware of that but you can use an electric to position the boat to get you in an area um, you can use the the current or the wind to drift through an area where you know there are fish um i also use a little plonk it's a piece of lead attached to the rope uh, and i've got another little anchor that i use without any chain um, that i can use in shallow water it'll pull the boat up and if you've got an idea of where the fish are coming through you can position it so that the fish come to you you're not chasing the fish and if the fish are coming to you, you've got a much better chance of not spooking them. Um, you can set yourself up and be ready to make that cast. Uh, so that's a very good way of fishing flats wherever you are um, if you've got an understanding of where the fish are and where they're coming through. Um, so I guess so to, you know, trout fishermen are obviously so familiar with that element of stealth being yes. essential when yep. you're working up a small stream, for instance. So the same message rings true for saltwater flats fishing an element of stealth is is going to result in more fish absolutely the more stealthy you are the more fish you'll catch there's no doubt about that and the modern day electric motors uh, are fairly quiet and um, they don't I've actually had an electric on and I've watched a school of permit 
come within about 100 feet of the boat, so marginal casting range when we're fly fishing, and they actually do circle in the, the remaining the same distance away from the boat, all around the boat, and then continued on down the flat. So within that 100 feet, they became aware of something. Um, they wouldn't, although I guess they don't know what it is, but they know it's something different, and because they're a very wary fish, um, they just keep their distance from it. So as long as you're aware of those things and use the electric as, uh, or the less you use it, the better really, especially when there are fish in casting range. Yeah. Um, but positioning the boat and then letting the current or the, the breeze uh, take you across so there's no noise is, I find, the best way of doing it. Yeah. Let's talk about some other gear that might be essential for your flats fishing. Yep. Uh, it, it just, I guess, in general, if you're chasing tropical species, which is your wheelhouse, yeah. uh, what w- weight rod might you want to opt for? And Yeah. Uh, if you're in, fishing in the tropics, um, the area that I fish particularly, uh, I guess generally speaking, around an eight-weight combo is ideal for most situations. And it'll cover most species. You can land big fish on an eight weight and it's still light enough to have fun catching smaller fish. Um, I use a seven weight a lot as well. Um, But if you're coming to the tropics, uh, where we live in particular, the size of the fish tend to be slightly bigger than a lot of the other flats that people fish. And I find a nine weight is probably what I believe is the perfect weight for the bigger fish that come onto our flats here. Um, But generally speaking, an eight weight with a good quality reel, uh, the best you can afford, um, that has a fair amount of backing capacity. So if you do hook a big fish, you've got enough backing on there to be able to play it and land it, uh, is probably your best starting point. Yeah. One of the interesting points you've made when, when we've fished with you is that, uh, you know, maximum pressure when you're fighting these fish on a flat isn't really necessary because there is nowhere that they can rub you off. Yes, yeah, so I, I, when I'm guiding, I see quite a few people break fish off. Um, they start panicking when the fish runs a long way. Um, and if you're on an open flat, there's nowhere really for them to go. Um, and there aren't too many fish around. If you hook a big GT or something, sure, they can spill you, um, but there aren't too many fish around that will run more than you know a couple of hundred metres, which is what you've probably got as backing on your reel anyway. Um, so, yeah, you, you don't really need um, much more than that when it comes to flats fishing. They, they've got nowhere to go. They There's no... Where I fish anyway, there's no structure. Uh, we do fish some flats where there are tusk fish and there are bommies and things, so that's a completely different situation. Uh, but when you hook a, a big tusky, uh, there's no way you're going to stop him anyway. You've got to let the fish run, keep you right up high and try and work your way around any structure that is there. Yeah. And quite often if you – I find – if a fish looks like it's definitely going to get into some structure, if you just back right off on the, the amount of pressure you're putting on it, they will just slow down and uh, and stop pulling against you. The, sometimes the harder you pull, the harder they pull, and I guess they feel less stressed if that pressure suddenly goes, and it'll give you a chance to catch up or wind your line around the bombies or whatever they happen to have swum around. 
So uh, that that's something you can do as well. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the uh, the patterns that you might use, like crabs, they might have a, quite a bit of weight in them. Um, you know, for casting some of those heavier flies, maybe like a nine weight or more yeah. would be a, a, a better line choice for yeah. that style of, of, of fishing. Or that, That's certainly something to consider. Uh, the two things I suggest most people consider when they're starting out is when you're looking for what gear to purchase, what species are you going to be targeting or mainly going to be targeting and what size flies or how heavy are the flies you're going to be casting. So I think they're the two critical things to look at when you're looking at purchasing a rod and reel. And certainly if you're casting large bulky flies, even big surface flies like large Dahlbergs, uh, or if you're casting even clouses sometimes, you need a slightly heavier, heavier rod to be able to cast the weight of those flies. So that is something uh, that, that is fairly critical. Certainly with some of the big crab patterns we use, you need a nine weight or even a 10 weight to be able to cast them. Yeah. Uh, what about fly lines? If you could pick just one uh, saltwater fly line for fishing the flats in the tropics, what would that be? If I was to pick a line uh, with the style of fishing I do, then a sink tip line is probably the most versatile for the flats I think if if you're wading and you're fishing very shallow water then a floating line's good but a sink foot a sink tip I usually use a 10 foot sink tip uh, is a very good line to use whether you're fishing out of a boat or wading um, the running line doesn't sink around your feet like a, an intermediate line would uh, and it can quite often tangle or get caught in rubble and things on the bottom, whereas the sink tip, the, the floating running line, you won't have any of those sort of issues. Um, and the tip will just get the fly down. Most of those fish that feed on the flats feed on the bottom. Uh, not all of them, but most of them do. And they're looking down, so you want your fly on the bottom and that sink tip will get it down on the bottom quickly. And a lot of the sink tips now are clear, uh, which means you can shorten up your leader a bit too. You, if you're using a 10-foot sink tip and it's clear, you've got 10 feet of clear leader basically before your leader, which may be 10 foot long, you've got 20 foot of clear line that the fish are unlikely to see. Uh, if you're using a floating line, they're more likely. So, yeah, I, I would say a, uh, a sink tip in about a 10-foot yeah. tip would be my my choice yeah and i guess with a fairly short sinking tip that is the kind of line that you can easily pick up and recast if you need to redirect that cast to a moving fish that is the other big thing and quite often on the flats the fish are moving quickly and if for some reason they might change direction or your cast might not land exactly where you want it to you can pick it up off the water and recast quickly so and- and flies, like let, let's talk a bit about flies. You know, yeah. like you're an avid fly tire and a, and a bloody good one, I might add. Um, you know, you, I think in my own general observation, I've, I've noticed that your flies are designed to, to present well. It's how they, 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 they swim in the water, basically. Yeah, uh, my flies are pretty ugly, I think, but um, they catch fish and that's, that's the most important thing for me. Um, and I think presentation is one of the most important things when you're fly fishing, uh, no matter what fi- uh, species you're fishing for. And uh, 
most of the, the most of the flies that I use on the flats are either shrimp patterns or crabs. Um, the crabs that I tie, I tie in different weights. So I can, if I've got, if I'm fishing deeper water, then I've got a, a heavily weighted crab or a more heavily weighted crab. If I'm fishing very shallow water, then I've got quite a lightly weighted crab, which almost uh, floats. It just suspends very slowly and sinks very slowly in a natural way. Uh, every crab I tie, I put in a bucket and I make sure it sinks with the hook up and it sinks naturally. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't go down like a brick. And if you... They've got to pass the swim test. Absolutely. They've got to pass the swim test. If they don't, they get thrown in the bin. So I've just spent <laughs> half an hour tying a fly for yeah. nothing. But um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm really, uh, I really do check every crab pattern that I tie. And the shrimps as well, you, you really want them on the flats to uh, work with the hook up. Uh, if you've got any rubble or anything they might snag on, if the hook's facing down, you're going to get caught up. And usually when you get caught up is when a fish is about to eat it and then it spooks and you you, you miss your shot. So, um, yeah, you've really got to, I guess, make it look like something they want to eat. Mm. Uh, that's what it comes down to. And it, whether it's a crab and even your retrieve, when it comes to presentation, a lot of things come into it. Um, if you look at the way a crab walks along the bottom, uh, they usually walk sideways and they will just very slowly and evenly walk along the bottom. There's no uh, jerky movement in the way that they swim or even when they're swimming down, if they're swimming down to, to get away from a predator, um, they don't do any jerky movements. It's a very even swimming pattern or the way they run along the bottom. So I often use a very long, steady strip when I'm using a crab fly and for me, I've looked underwater, I've got shots underwater of the crabs when they're working and they look like a crab when they're on the bottom. They just move very slowly and evenly across the bottom. And if you can imitate that, then that's what a fish is used to seeing. They'll usually pounce on it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, you're, the way you retrieve the fly has got a lot to do with it too and that's all part of the whole presentation process so crabs in the wild they're, they're quite often swimming more like mid and top water as yes. well as yep. you know not they're not always on the bottom crawling no they're not um they often float on mangrove leaves they'll, they'll float out with big tides on the mangrove leaves and fish can often be seen actually bumping the mangrove leaves to see if a crab falls off and there are other situations i often see crabs up right on the surface just floating around or swimming around. So they're not always on the bottom. And fish um, realise that, you know, obviously they know they're not always on the bottom too. So with a crab fly, a lot of people, I think, um, assume that you need to get it on the bottom to catch fish. But in my experience, as long as it swims or sinks naturally, a fish will, can eat it anywhere from the surface to the bottom. So I think there's a bit of a misconception there, particularly with some of our species uh, like permit, for instance. Um, I think we've caught, my clients and I've caught personally myself, more permit from the, the surface to maybe half a metre under the surface, sometimes in quite deep water. Um, most of the fish we catch where I fish are caught that way. 
And for permit that are travelling or milling around and not feeding and grubbing hard on the bottom, um, that's the best way, I believe, of catching them. Um, they, if you've got a crab on the bottom and they're doing that, they're travelling or they're milling around, they're not looking down, they're not really in feeding mode and they most of the time they won't even see the crab. Um, so if they don't see it, they're not going to eat it. Yeah. Um, but if it's in front of their face, if they see it and it looks natural, they'll eat it. Yeah, and we're talking about a fish in the case of permit that have a big eye. No doubt they have incredible vision. They're going to see you fly. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, they've got to see it. I, I just tell people that are fishing with me, I'd rather see the, the fish spook because the flies landed too close to them at least we've got a reaction out of the, the fish yep. rather than the fly land too far away and the fish doesn't see it and we don't really know how it's going to react or it's you've got to get that fly in front of the fish or the crab in front of them and they've got to see it. That's, that's the number one thing. Cool. And then it's got to look natural. And the other uh, observation I've made with your flies is there's not a lot of flash in them. They're quite drab. I, I don't like flash, I must admit. Um, if I buy a fly from someone else and it's got any flash in it, I usually cut it out. Uh, I've, as far as clear, shallow water flats go, I do, find, and on a sunny day particularly, I find that anything that flashes or even shiny silver hooks can spook the fish. I've got absolutely no doubt about that. So I try and use darker hooks where possible, or I've even uh, got, got to the point where if I've got a, a shiny hook that I need to use for some reason. I put my wife's nail polish over it, pinch a bit of nail polish. So just to get rid of that shine. Yeah. I think the sun on it, it's it's not natural and uh, permit definitely spook off something like that. Yeah. I've got no doubt. Great tip. Um, let's talk about what's connected to the fly in terms of tippets and leaders. You yeah. know, as a general kind of makeup for a flats leader, what are you normally fishing? Uh, normally I have a 40-pound butt section. I have three sections usually on the flats. Um, it depends, but normally 40-pound, then 30-pound. I've got about four and a half feet of 40, uh, maybe two and a half feet of – I'm talking feet here. I should be talking centimetres. Nah, we're fly uh, fishermen. Say we two get and feet. Half, <laughs> two and a half feet of 30 yep. and then about two feet of 20. That's what I normally use when there are bigger fish around. If I'm fishing for smaller fish, you can go, uh, you know, 35, 25, 15 or that sort of taper seems to work well. It helps with your presentation. Uh, it helps roll the fly over if you've got a tapered leader. A lot of guys just for barramundi and species like that fish 40 straight through, but you don't get as good a presentation. Uh, it is harder to roll the fly over. So I, I think it's Good to have a bit of taper in your leader. And nylon versus fluorocarbon? I use both. Um, I, I normally use fluorocarbon when I'm fishing the flats or for fish that may be in deep water. Like if I'm fishing for barramundi and they're in deeper water, uh, I'll usually use fluorocarbon. If I'm fishing surface flies, I always use mono. Um, or if I'm fishing... Um, shallow water I, I use mono sometimes but most of the time on the flats I do use fluorocarbon I have found at time well it's not quite as forgiving at times mono's got a bit more stretch in it 
Uh, it's certainly a bit more forgiving. And I have had fluorocarbon break for no particular reason a few times when I thought maybe it shouldn't have broken. Um, and I think that's just the fact that it hasn't got the stretch that mono has. Um, so I, I do use both. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing too, in deeper water, you'll get a faster sink rate with fluorocarbon. You've got finer diameter, um, whereas mono, you'll get a slower sink rate. Yeah, cool. And I guess, you know, sight fishing is just such an important part of flats fishing. Um, so some decent polarised sunglasses, you know, that are high quality and offer yeah. good clarity. and Absolutely one of the most important things. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see the fish, good pair of sunnies, polarised sunnies. Cool. Um, and, of course, sun protection. Uh, and depending on where you're fishing, uh, I wear lightweight most guys do anyway these days, fly fishing, just lightweight stuff that's, uh, that breathes and uh, dries quickly. That's, that's the best thing to do. Yeah, and on the deck of the boat too, you know, um, you mentioned wearing boots is not really what you should be doing. Just explain to the listeners why that is. I've always fished uh, with bare feet when I'm fishing in a boat because I know when I'm standing on my fly line. And I often see people that aren't, bare feet in a boat, stand on their fly line, especially when they're getting excited and there's a good fish in front of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I just i have got in the habit of doing that and I know if I'm standing on it and I get it off it very quickly. Um, but rather than putting greasy sunscreen all over your feet, and which is quite often slippery, and um, I've had a melanoma cut out, I've had numerous sunspots cut out so I try and keep the sun off these days and so my feet don't get sunburned I, I wear socks these days and I found some non-slip socks that are very good for that sort of thing and you can still feel the line under your feet not quite as well as if you had bare feet but you know when you're standing on it uh, and it's just a it's a good thing to do and I, I do it all the time now yeah cool um what about identifying areas do you are you a fan of google maps I use Google Maps a lot. Um, I've got uh, not only for finding flats in the early days and we certainly, another mate and I spent years looking for good flats between about Harvey Bay and Cape York and Google Maps was the main thing we would look at and we were looking at a couple of things really. Um, one of the main things we were looking at were flats that were protected from a southeasterly because... Uh, southeasterlies are the, the predominant trade wind in northern northern Australia, North Queensland, and we wanted flats that we could fish in any wind, and especially southeasterlies. Uh, so that was one of the first things we looked at. Uh, we also looked at flats. You get a feel for a while about which flats might hold fish and which ones don't. Um, it's not always the, the clear sandy flats that hold fish. Uh, they're not the ones that always hold a lot of food. So finding a bit of seagrass and a bit of rubble and things like that can mean that there's a lot more food on that flat as well. And you can see those things when you look on Google Earth. And uh, not only the flats, um, we also – I looked at a lot of the backcountry here um, inland from where we live and I found some really good uh, sort of – Grunter country up through there by looking at Google Earth and working out how we can access places. Um, so, yeah, modern technology is a, a huge help 
in catching fish. There's no doubt about that, yeah. uh, especially Google Earth. Once you've used a tool like Google Earth, um, th- it, have you found any correlation between the number of stingrays on a flat and that leading to more fish? Where there are stingrays, there are usually fish. Uh, the stingrays feed uh, on a lot of the things that the fish feed on and they're certainly a good indication. If you're seeing other life on a flat, then it's a very good indication there'll be the sort of fish you're looking for on that flat as well. And one of the other things to look for, I do find uh, when you're looking at tides, the, it, the first couple of hours of the incoming tide is quite often the best time to fish flats uh, because the fish will move off the flat into deeper water on the low tide, quite often goes quiet for an hour or so around low tide, there's no water movement. When it starts pushing in, that's when the fish get up in that shallow water and start feeding hard. And they're not as spooky then because they know the depth of water is increasing. If you fish the same flat on a falling tide, there are certainly plenty of flats around where you can catch fish on a falling or a making tide. But the fish that are coming off the flat are usually in a bit of a hurry to get off out of the shallow water. They can get caught in there as well. And they're not usually feeding as hard as the, the same fish on an incoming tide. So, uh, yeah, the tides are, are very critical. And having a low tide around the middle of the day or mid-morning is what I like uh, because you get the option of the, the run out if you start early um, and then you get the, the prime part of that incoming tide. When the sun's high, you can see um, that that's another thing too. Uh, especially in winter, if you say start before nine o'clock or so in the morning, it's really gentleman hours when you're, you're looking at the flats fishing because the sun needs to be high enough to be able to see the fish and that's usually maybe around nine or so. And then you lose your vision again in winter, maybe, you know, 3.30 in the afternoon. So you need to be looking for fish when that sun's nice and high. And the only exception to that is if you've got tailing fish, of course, quite often you'll get tailing fish more in those low light periods. Um, So if you start early in the morning, the sun isn't high and the fish are tailing, you can still see them and work out where they are. Yeah, so the sun is just one of the critical factors to what what you're doing out there. Yeah, very critical. Those blue sky days are gold. Yeah. Um, When you get a cloudy sky, especially when there's big clumps of cloud coming through quickly, um, you always seem to, the fish seem to time it. As soon as you see a fish and you're about to cast, a cloud comes and you lose the fish completely. So our dry seasons in northern Australia, normally, they've been a bit unusual the last couple of years, but normally from about April until about October, um, during our dry season, we get blue sky days where we are and that's not something we've got to be concerned about because most days are sunny, bright yeah. sunny days. Yeah, so uh, the wind as well, obviously, you know, is a critical thing. Um, uh, just talk us through um, maybe that the lead-up to your fishing day, how you're observing the wind even before you've got out there on the day that you're fishing. Uh, I start observing the wind and the weather maps a week before I start fishing and then I start trying to work out a plan if I've got people coming to fish with me so that they're not disappointed, they don't end up out in wind and terrible conditions. Uh, and we're lucky where I am, uh, we've got a number of different locations where we can get out of the wind. Um, but I, I certainly, 
I use the wind when I'm fishing to drift and line the boat up with fish at times. Uh, so a little bit of wind is good. Uh, on those glassy calm mornings, sometimes on the flats, the fish can be incredibly spooky. Um, but having said that, I've had some of my best fishing on those glassy mornings. Um, but you, you, you've still got to use that current. You can't go rushing in. Uh, the fish will spook. They're, they're very much aware of everything. So five to ten knots of wind is probably ideal. Uh, it makes it harder for the fish to see you, but it, sometimes it's harder to see the fish as well. Um, if you've got more, more wind than that, then other factors come into it, line management, your casting ability, um, positioning the boat, uh, boat drifting too quickly. I've got a drogue in the boat that I use sometimes. I've got that plonk that I was talking about earlier. I can drop that out, and even if it drags, it'll slow the boat down. So I do use the wind a lot to position the boat, and especially if I've got a pretty good idea of where the fish are likely to be coming from, I'll position the boat so that even if we're running on the electric, as soon as we see a fish, I'll kill the electric and the breeze will just keep us going towards those fish, ideally on an angle. If the boat pushes too quickly into the fish, you're going to have trouble keeping tight on your line. So there's a lot of things that come into it when you're using a boat to fish the flats and most of the guides that fish the flats are very good at positioning the boat and um, positioning the angler so they've got the wind on their left shoulder if they're a right-handed caster, that sort of thing all comes into fishing the flats. Yeah, and talking a bit about casting, you know, how important do you think it is for, for people to be up to speed with, you know, dealing with the wind and casting in wind before they get to a place like yeah, the, far the, north Queensland? The flats are probably the most tricky place to cast yeah. um, because you're exposed. Any wind at all is going to affect your casting. Um, so it, people, if they're planning a trip away, it's a good idea to get out in the park or somewhere and practice your casting. So you're casting a reasonable distance. I'd say most of the fish that get caught out of my boat are within 60 feet, certainly, and a, a lot of fish get caught a lot closer than that. So if you can cast an accuracy is another and speed, efficiency and speed, um, the fish that live on the flats move quickly. They they you don't get much time like you do sometimes in freshwater situations where the fish will be feeding in the same area or using the same beat. You get a very short period of time to get your cast in front of them, and. Being able to cast, the, the further you can cast accurately, the better, obviously. If you can cast 100 feet, that's really good. But the reality is most fish are caught in a lot less you know, than, than 100 feet. Um, but being able to cast accurately and efficiently is more important than being able to cast that sort of distance. If you can cast 80 feet, uh, you won't have any issues at all. And if you can cast quickly and efficiently, two or three back casts uh, and get shoot your line out. Uh, I, I see a lot of fish get missed on the flats when people do too many back casts. Um, that is something that um, I, I guess people that are used to fishing the freshwater more need to be aware of when you're on the flats. Quite often you miss your opportunity. And the first cast, no matter where you're fishing, is that's the money shot. If you get that one 
on the money, the fish will usually eat it. Likely. Uh, Once you've blown that one or you need to recast, there's much more chance the fish is going to become aware of you or know something's going on. So that, that first shot is really important. And that's something else I notice when I'm guiding. People will often make that first shot too soon. Uh, I'm trying to position them both and I'm trying to get them to hold off so that I know that first shot is going to be the best shot. Uh, But quite often they'll cast when they're not quite close enough for their casting ability or um, there are other reasons why they cast too soon. You know, they, they start getting a bit anxious and just want to get that fly in front of the fish. But you're better off waiting until you know you can get a, a, a that first shot is so critical. If you can get that first shot right on the money and just wait a bit longer and know that, yes, the fish is within my casting ability, my range, uh, now's the time to do it. Uh, that's something I, I see a lot and it's one of the things that uh, I, I guess a lot of people miss good fish because they do cast too soon. That's such a good tip, I reckon. Uh, Peter, you know, on this trip, I put the absolute fear of God into you a few months out and you did get to work and did some casting practice. Any tips for the listeners in terms of getting ready for a saltwater trip if all you've done is fly fish for trout prior to something like, like a flats fishing trip? Find the find the windiest day from wherever you are in Melbourne. Go to the middle of a football oval and stand on a cricket pitch and cast straight down. It doesn't matter which direction the wind is coming from. Yeah. Um, and cast into all directions of the wind with a crab fly on, with the heaviest fly you have. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't, don't put the wind in your back. Cast straight into it because the permit's going to be in the wind. It won't be the perfect cast. One of the things I've observed in your casting on this trip, though, is you're able to cast over the left-hand shoulder, the right-hand shoulder, and every which way in between. So all of a sudden, the direction of the wind, not just if you're casting into it, becomes less relevant. That's right, yeah. And you just learn better timing and things like that in wind 100%. Yeah. It's just a whole different element. Yeah. Yeah. And, John, that point you made about actually understanding your own ability – in being able to make that shot so that you don't fire before you're ready is, I just think, absolute gold for anyone listening to this. Sometimes you do really need to back yourself, though, into the cast. Like, this is my first proper saltwater trip, and I made a lot of casts that I just put the confidence in, and it happened, and yeah. they were perfect casts to fish. Oh, right, I mate. Calm down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you, I saw the hard work pay off, definitely. Yeah, no, you fish bloody well, mate. Um, and John, you you mentioned you know that you've got some some backup plans uh, in place should the weather not be ideal for flats fishing. Uh, I guess it's worth talking about the fact that you can't just go out flats fishing every day. No, that's correct, and you can't control the weather. <laughs> so, unfortunately, uh, that's what guides have got to deal with every day. Uh, so you've got to have backup plans and. Unless the conditions are pretty good for the flats, then you're better off fishing somewhere else, to be honest. Um, It can become very frustrating and disappointing on a day when there's wind and cloud and you can't see the fish and um, that's what it's all about. It's sight fishing and you've got to be able to see the fish. So um, I've I've got some freshwater options as well. Uh, We fish for barramundi and... I've got some good locations where we can do that and other tropical species as well. We've got sooty grunter in some of the streams up behind where we live 
and uh, tarpon or oxeye herring, and they're good fun to catch on light gear. Um, I have I really love my sooty grunter fishing. Uh, I love walking those streams. They're like little freestone trout streams with a six weight or a five weight casting little surface flies and they're very aggressive fish and they really pull hard yeah so, so even though you might sign up to a trip purely because you've got the motivation to fish flats you've still got some amazing other things there to fill in the holes yeah fill the, in the gaps the weather's got to be pretty bad to uh, not be able to get on the flats somewhere particularly during that dry season period um, but yes we've certainly got backups if that's the case mm-hmm. and with the weather patterns coming through you it, most people that fish with me fish four five days a week sometimes maybe 10 days even sometimes and if you book a few days you've got a very good chance of getting a couple of good ones and if that's the case they're the days we go out on the flats um, rather than uh, just picking one day and your chances with the weather then are um, not the best you know if you've got a few days you've got a good chance of getting one or two good days out on the flats Cool. And just going back to safety, I just want to uh, maybe talk a bit about uh, boating in some of these uh, far north Queensland waters where there's lots of current and big tides and things. It's pretty easy to come unstuck, isn't it? Very much so. You need to do your homework on the local area or the area that you're looking at fishing and talk to the locals. Um, talk to the guys at the boat ramp, you know, get an idea, get a feel for it, you know, talk to a few of them so then you can weigh up, you know, what they've told you. But you've certainly, um, as far as big tides go, you can get caught out in really nasty situations. The wind is the other one. Uh, I just scrutinise the, the weather maps, particularly the day before and the night before and the morning that we're going. Um, and I try and work out if there's been any change at all. In fact, today I did that and the Weather Bureau wasn't quite 100% spot on, to be honest. Um, we didn't get the wind that they'd predicted and yet we got a bit more wind in, in an area that we went to that they hadn't predicted. So they're not always absolutely spot on, but you can get a pretty good idea. You need to have a, a fair idea of how strong the wind's going to be um, how big the tides are, when the low tide is, when the high tide is, when the most current is going to be running. And things like rock, rock bars, even if you're fishing in a river or enclosed waters, um, you, you really should have a very good look at a, a good quality chart and get a feel for the whole area, know where there could be submerged things you may hit, get an idea of where the main channels are, uh, where the channel markers are, and have a very good understanding of the boat that you're driving and what it's capable of and, and what its limitations are. Um, a lot of people come unstuck. And, they do. and they're probably a bit gung-ho, some of those people too, aren't they? Yes, you've, you've really got to be very careful and not be gung-ho because the ocean especially, um, it's a very powerful thing. And the, the weather, when, when it blows up... Um, a lot of people do get... I've rescued people in a dam. Uh, well, there were two older people and a, a, a grandson, and the grandson was hypothermic when we picked him up. Um, we saw them earlier. Their boat sunk. It was blowing about 20 knots. Um, they were in a tiny little punt with a 10 horsepower, and it was overloaded. And we went past them and said, are you OK? They were bailing madly. No, 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 we're fine. And when we came back, 
Two of them were hanging onto a tree. The older people were. The grandson was on the bank. We The boat had sunk. We pulled the older people out. Um, they were just terrified, really, and becoming hypothermic. But the, the other fellow on the bank would have died that night. And we were the only other boat on the dam. And it was a normally a fairly calm dam. We just had a lot of wind come through. And he swam to the bank thinking he could walk back to a caravan park campground, which he wouldn't have got to because he didn't realise there was a creek in the way as well. And there's no way he would have survived that night. In fact, we told them to get him to hospital as quick as they could. He was blue Mm. uh, and he wasn't well at all. So that sort of thing people need to be aware of. Even if you're in enclosed waters, you need to be aware of what the weather's doing what obstacles might be in the water and have a good understanding of what the limitations of your boat is. Yeah. I think it's important when it comes to boating. uh, Like you can't just walk into a a shop and buy a boat and then just head out there and expect to be able to do it all. Like actually gaining some experience from people that do know how to run boats is imperative, particularly if you're wanting to tackle something like, you know, far, far north Queensland. Absolutely. But having said that, if you take precautions and you use some common sense, um, there's no point in, you know, stressing about it. Uh, there's some great locations and as long as you are careful with those sort of things, you can have a great day. 100%. Couldn't agree more, mate. Um, what is the, the, the current state of the, the East Coast fishery up here and in, in Queensland? The fishery here, we're lucky in the the fact that we've got the barrier reef, we've got so many species of fish here, um, but I think a lot of people in the past have taken that for granted and we've really got to think about the future these days and most fly fishermen do and they're very aware of it. Most of the fish we catch are catch and release. Uh, we look after the fish, we get them back in the water as quick as possible if we get a photo. Um, I guess... With future generations, uh, it's going to become even more important that they understand those sort of things. And again, I'll say most fly fishermen are aware of those sort of things, but we've certainly got to be aware of it. Uh, if you, you're, even if you're doing catch and release, you're releasing your fish, get them back in the water quickly, handle them properly, uh, get the hook out of them quickly, get your photo back in the water. Um, don't keep them out of the water too long. You know, look after them. There's no point in releasing fish if they're not going to survive. So um, they're the sort of things that we need to be looking at more in the future, I think. As far as commercial fishing goes, then I guess that's up to the government, fisheries departments to manage that properly. I think some states are doing a better job than others. I won't mention which ones, um, but uh, Victoria is certainly doing it, I think an excellent job as far as fisheries go. And they're looking after the recreational fishermen as well. Uh, where I come from, recreational fishing just doesn't seem to get looked after quite as well. Yeah. The commercial fishing kind of rules rules the day a little bit and the, it, the recreational stuff is just the afterthought. That's certainly the way it's been up until now. So let's hope things change in Queensland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just in case anyone wonders where I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the, well, the fishing at the moment, touch wood, is just so special uh, up here and, and, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it, it, clear in chatting to you tonight that you do actually love 
spreading the fly fishing knowledge um and that's of course has led to your your latest uh project flyfishingmasterclass.com uh, just tell the listeners a, a bit about that yeah it's it's something we've just started and uh, hopefully if it goes well then uh, we'll continue putting new content in there uh we've got a lot of old footage that i've shot in previous years that's got a lot of very good information in it and we're certainly taking people through the whole process from the start um as far as casting and what gear to buy knots leaders pretty much anything you need to know what flies to use as far as fly fishing goes in fresh and salt water uh, we're trying to cover it and and make it or explain it in a clear way so that people that are beginning uh, fly fishing or taking it up can understand it and even for people that have are experienced and been doing it for a long time i think they'll find that there's a lot of information and things in there that are worth having a look at and a listen to so that's what it's all about um we've only just put it out there and it's only just gone up um already a lot of great content up there though you know i was surprised that that you've obviously held off the launch until you had a lot that people could get something out of straight away we did in fact i spent about five months editing and shooting and peter my wife helped with a lot of that as well um just purely putting this together and i knew it was going to take a while but we finally got it to the point and Yes, we didn't want to. I was the one that probably wanted to get it out there quickly. Uh, well, I certainly was. And if you were to ask Peter, my wife, she would say, no, 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 we need some more content first. Just make sure you got everything you know, ready before you put it out there, which is what we did. So we've been working on it for a long time. There's a lot of footage there that we've shot with Peter Morse and other people um, which covers pretty much anything from trout through to billfish. Uh, and there's a lot of that content that's going to be coming online as well. Uh, so we'll have regular stuff going up there and a lot of new content we're about to shoot. So uh, I think for anyone interested in fly fishing, it's worth a look and uh, hopefully uh, people will enjoy it and get some good information out of it. John, thank you, mate, for everything you've taught us tonight and on the water uh, about saltwater flats fishing. It's been bloody good. No, it's been a pleasure, and uh, you guys are welcome anytime. (laughs) We've had a ball, and it's not over yet. We've got another day tomorrow. (laughs) We do, mate. Um, Yeah, look, you've got an amazing depth of knowledge on the topic, and, of course, uh, listeners should do themselves a favour and tap into that by joining flyfishingmasterclass.com. Guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.